Good morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Hey, my name's Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an absolute joy to be with each and every one of you. I've got two quick announcements before we get started. Number one, we are having our second annual fall festival on Halloween night. That will be on 1031 right here at the church on our property. Uh, what we need to do is this needs to be a family endeavor together. Uh, we want to make disciples of Jesus that live in community for the community. And so we are uh, a church that is for our community and we want to do it together as a family. Sound good? Okay, so, all right, well, you can even applaud that. That's fine. I don't mind. Uh, so uh, you applaud that, but now I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, we need candy. I heard we need 1,000 pounds of candy. So far, we have 32 pounds of candy, so we need a lot more. No, we have, we, have, we have a lot of candy, but we do need more. Right out there at the cross, you notice there's two big bins. Just throw your candy in there. So whenever you go to Smith's or Costco or wherever you go, just buy you one, buy us one. Uh, that way we can give out plenty of candy. Uh, and then also we have 20 spots left for cars or trucks for vehicles out there. If you want to be a part of the trunk or treat, that's how we disperse the candy. So we have 20 left. And then we need set up and tear down and people to run the carnival style games. You'll look at the seat back pocket in front of you right now. Take a look at that. Take a look at that. You see the third gar uh, barcode on the right or QR code? On the right, scan that, and then you can sign up or go out to Centerpoint and sign up for that. But this is something we have to do together as a family to make it work. So let's do this together. Sound good? Awesome. Let's do that. And then the second thing is this. Uh, many of you brought stuff down for the GPS or Grace Point students uh, garage sale that happened yesterday. Did you guys bring some stuff for that? You can lie to me right now and be like, yeah, yeah I brought something. They made, I heard the grand total, they made $18.51. Woo! No, it was actually, that's what usually yard sales do. No, it was 3,600 bucks. So they did great. So thankful for that. But thanks for bringing your donations, all your stuff down here. That way it helps provide uh, the students a way to get to camp. All right, let's get started. I'm going to ask a question. Don't answer it out loud. I just want you to think about it. Do you walk by faith? I just want you to think about it. Do you, do you walk by faith? You know uh, what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Talking about believers, talking about people who follow Jesus. We walk by faith, not by sight. And all of us walk by faith, sort of. No matter if you're here today, and you're like, hey, I'm not a person of faith. I'm an atheist. I'm not a Christian or whatever. No, we all walk by faith, sort of. Like, think about how you live by faith. Like, you wake up at the very last moment that you can wake up to go to work, and you get ready, you do whatever it takes to get ready, get your lunch ready, get yourself ready, whatever, and you get to the car. Now, you have no time to spare, and so you believe with all the believing you have, with all the faith you have, that that car is going to start, that there will be no traffic on the way to work, and you're going to get there on time. You live by faith. Or you believe when you don't have home court advantage and you're using the restroom somewhere else, that that toilet is going to flush. You know what I'm talking about. It's faith. It's faith. You believe when you go to the store and buy something with your credit card or debit card or cash that there's actually money in the bank or that the money, the paper money that you have is by faith going to be worth something. You right now sitting in that chair are using your faith. You believe that this chair will hold the weight of your existence, your life right now. Do me a favor. Pick, pick your feet up. Just pick your feet up. That's faith. <laughs> you believe when you go get gas in the Costco line that you're not going to get shanked. That's faith. It's been a close call, am I right? You're like, everybody's got a Costco gas line story. But we all live by faith, sort of. And if we were to pause long enough, 
to look at what we have faith in, if not careful, believer and unbeliever alike, a lot of our faith is in ourself. A lot of our faith is in others or things like technology or, or you know, whatever that would be. We all have faith. But my question for you today is, do you have faith or do you walk by faith trusting God? Not just like I place my faith in Jesus, it's my get out of hell free card and like I have salvation by him. That's important, don't get me wrong. But I mean, moment to moment, every day, basically if God doesn't show up, my life is not going to work properly kind of faith. The faith that says I have some skin in the game, the faith that says I'm going to take some risk to live by faith in the world around me. Do you have faith? The faith like we're gonna see from Esther today. Today, we're continuing our journey through the book of Esther. Have you guys been enjoying this? It has been so much fun. At first, I got off sabbatical. I was like, what a dumb idea. Go through the book of Esther right off sabbatical because it's like it's a lot of extra study because it's not one of those easy books that just says, hey, Christian, do this and don't do this. It's way different than that. Uh, but I have thoroughly enjoyed going through it with you guys. And today, we're continuing it. If you've missed any of it, you can go back to uh, or YouTube or our website. And you can catch up on it or just read the first four chapters of it. Uh, just as a reminder, we said this from the beginning, the book of Esther, although inspired equally by the Holy Spirit, uh, and belongs in the Bible is a lot. Uh, it's a lot different than the other books of the Bible. You notice in the book of Esther, uh, what you don't notice is you don't m- notice a mention of God or a lot of spiritual things or Jerusalem or uh, worship or temple or sacrifice or anything like that. Um, but it, but it, it seems like that God is kind of invisible and silent. And we what we've said is the main theme of the book of Esther is that that God is providential. It's all about God's providence. And we gave the illustration, I give it every week, that uh, it's kind of like God has two hands, his visible hand where you can see his manifestation of, of his works, or you could see you know, miracles or just his activity. But he also has his invisible hand, which is always working behind the scenes for his glory, for his purpose and plan, and for our good. Now, we see this in the book of Esther, but if we'll take a time out in our lives and kind of look at what's going on, we could probably notice that God's invisible hand is at work in our lives as well for our good and for his glory. And so that's what we've been walking through and seeing within this book. Uh, last week, just like the week before, we kind of left off on a cliff. And so uh, instead of feeling like you're jumping in the middle of a movie, unless it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, and he begins that way, uh, let me kind of give you a little bit of what's going on here. Uh, king Ahasuerus, he's the, he's the king of all this Persian empire, 127 providences. He's known as the king of kings at that time period. Uh, he wants to be worshiped as a god. Uh, so he's kind of a, one of the main characters. And then he just put a, a guy in the number two position, the kind of the vice president. His name was Haman. Haman's the number two there. And like I said last week, he was the number two. And everyone in the kingdom was commanded to bow down uh, to Haman. Like when you saw Haman, you were to give him honor, give him respect, and you were to bow down. And so there's a guy by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jewish guy. Uh, he is the older cousin, father figure of Esther, the star of the book, besides Jesus. And uh, so Mordecai was anti-bow. He's like, I'm not bowing down to him. Man, this really burned, uh, burned old Haman's biscuits right there. He's like, I'm so upset by that. But he restrained himself. And he said, hey, uh, who is Mordecai? And tell me more about Mordecai. So he did a little investigation on Mordecai found out that Mordecai was Jewish. And he's like, I got an idea. So Haman, I think uh, demonically led, goes to King Ahasuerus and says, hey, these Jewish people, they're all over your, your providences. They're all over your reign and rule. Uh, they're dangerous people and they're different than us. And they do a lot of different things. And so we need to get rid of them. And so the king takes off his signet ring, which is kind of like the power of attorney, says, do whatever you want. And so they rolled the dice and they said, 11 months from now, we're going to kill all the Jewish people. That's fifth. 15 million Jewish people 
dead. And by the way, it wasn't like the royal authority or guards going out. They were just saying, hey, every average Joe of the, uh, of the, of the empire, uh, on this day, uh, you can go ahead and kill your neighbor if they're Jewish and take all their stuff as an incentive to follow through. How messed up is that, right? And so anyway, uh, Mordecai gets wind of this, and man, he's just he's destroyed over this. And you have, to, you have to assume that he took a lot of personal responsibility, right? He's the one that was anti-bow and ended up costing all of his people, which is, man, that's just a mess. And so he uh, takes off his regular clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and goes mourning, goes, to, goes grieving and lamenting to the king's gate. And you're not supposed to do that because you can't get past that because the king is a party animal, good vibes only, no harsh vibes with this guy. And so uh, his, his younger cousin, the one he's taking care of, Esther, she catches wind of this. And so she sends a eunuch out to him and says, hey, bro, change your clothes. Like, don't do this. This is bad. And he tells her what's going on. He says, hey, you need to go beg the king to, to reverse this law, this irreversible law. You need to go beg the king to like make this stop. And she's like, well, I don't know if you heard, the king's pretty fickle and it's, I haven't been around him for 30 days. And by the way, if you go into the king's chamber unannounced, uh, you could probably lose your head. Like if he doesn't tip the scepter to you, uh, meaning welcoming you in, there's two axemen behind him that will cut your head off. And he's like, then all of a sudden Mordecai has his, his faith moment. He's like, well... Uh, if you won't do this, then, then our deliverance will come from somewhere else. And I think that's the part where Mordecai is trusting God to deliver them. By the way, Mordecai does tell Esther, if you don't do this, you're going to die anyway. Why? Because you're Jewish. And so anyway, she kind of comes to her senses and she's like, you know what? I'm going to go do this. Have everyone fast for three days. And she says, if I die, I die. And I think that's her faith moment. That's where she comes online of like, hey, I'm going I'm to trust God in this. I'm going to put some skin in the game. I'm going to Live and walk by faith. So you're caught up now. You got it? Okay, Esther chapter 5 is where we're going to start. If you got a Bible, go ahead and go to Esther chapter 5. We say this each and every week. We mean it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we really want you to have one here at Grace Point Church. As a people, you're going to need one. We are people of the word, and we have them in the front tables, back tables, and out there, English and Spanish. They're our free gift to you. Please, please, please take one. Uh, you're not stealing unless you get it from the nice rack. We have the fancy Bibles there. Then you're stealing. It's happened. But we say, hey, we don't care. Take one. It's the Bible. If you stole the Bible, hey, it's okay, right? It's somewhere in the Bible. It says you can steal a Bible. It's like in Second Opinions, <laughs> chapter 3, verse 5. Steal that Bible. Thou shalt steal a Bible. That's just dumb. I don't know, babe. I don't know. All right, let's get started. First one, don't steal a Bible. First one. Come on. All right, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. So remember, she's been fasting for three days. And this fasting included no food and no water. Okay, she's dehydrated. Uh, put on her royal robe and stood in the intercourt of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And so uh, she's going in there. She's standing at the doorway, long corridor. There's like, you know, they say the way they constructed his uh, palace, like you could see the king from every angle. He's way, way down there. He's sitting on his throne. She sees him. Now, this comes on the heels of Esther, Mordecai, and the Jews praying for this meeting. They've been praying for boldness. They've been praying for opportunity, I'm sure. They've been praying for favor. And so they've been praying for three days. Now, the time is over to stop praying and start doing something. And I feel that's a good moment for us to pause because we need to come to that uh, point in our life at times as well, to stop praying and start doing something. Yes, we pray, but sometimes we need to put some action behind our prayers. Sometimes when uh, God calls us to do something, here's how we respond. I, I just need to pray about that. 
God's called you to a ministry. God's called you to an action. God's called you to a job. God's called you to a move. God's called you to serve the church. God's called you to give of your time and resources. God's called you to confess, come clean, and repent of sin. God's called you to tell someone about Jesus. And a lot of times when we hear that from God, from his word or through someone else, when we hear that, we're like, you know what? You know what? I need to pray about that. Can I help you with that? Stop praying. Your pastor just told you to stop praying. When it comes to things that are clearly defined in God's word, there is no need for prayer. There's only need for obedience. Just obey the Lord. Now, there are things that we can pray about and we should pray and we're called to pray, absolutely. But when things are crystal clear in God's word, don't pray. Just do, don't hide behind, oh, I just need to pray about this. Look, stop praying about cheating on your taxes and cheating on your spouse. Don't, like the Bible says, don't do that. Stop, stop praying about, do I, should I serve the church? Stop praying about that. Why? The Bible says over and over to serve one another, to do good to one another, to help one another out. Stop praying about sharing your faith. Why? God has put you in those situations for you to do what? Two people know that. <laughs> Share your faith. Yes, there are times we pray and we wait upon the Lord Absolutely, but when the word is crystal clear about what to do, there's no need to pray about that. There's just only room for obedience. Let's be obedient. So let's pause there. What is it that God has been nudging you, calling you out upon, hitting you over the head with the holy two by four, or whatever it may be, to do that you maybe have been hesitant because you're like, I just need to pray about that. What is it? I think it's time for us to be obedient or if not careful, we get paralyzed by prayer, you know, because like God calls us to do something and like, you know, I'll just pray about it. And then we'll say, you know, I'll just, I'll do that tomorrow. Or most of us, you know, when we'll usually do something when we start something or stop something on Monday. We've all said, you know, I'm going to start that on Monday. I'm going to stop doing that on Monday. Monday has never come, right? Did you ever put a year with Monday? Monday 2032 is when I'm going to start that. James says this. He says, James 4 says, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend our year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We have no idea what tomorrow holds, so let's be obedient today. So yes, pray, but there should be action behind prayer unless it's a situation the Lord told you to wait. Tommy Nelson said this, God is in control but don't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. <laughs> God, never, uh, God never puts us in a position or of opportunity just so we can consider doing something or almost doing something or maybe doing something. He calls us to do something. That's what Mordecai is getting to Esther earlier when we saw last week. He's like, he's like Esther, God has put you in this place for such a time as this. Friends, listen to me. You are in this place, whatever this is, for such a time as this. It's time to be obedient. So what does she do? Uh, she walks in there and she waits. She has no idea if it's going to be good. She has no idea if she's going to lose her head. Remember, she's kind of fallen out of favor, it looks like, with the king, with her husband, because he hasn't summoned her in 30 days, and we're sure that he wasn't sleeping alone during those 30 days. And so, like, this is a big deal. On top of that, she's going to go in and ask on behalf of the Jewish people for them to be spared. Now, the king is an idiot, but not a complete idiot. And so if she's asking on behalf of the Jews, he's going to say, hey, what's the, what's the big deal with you and Jewish people? And then what, what is she? You guys remember? 
And so, uh-oh, they've been married for five years, and apparently she's been deceiving him and not letting him know that for five years. So that's even more trouble right there. On top of that, the king does not like bad news. And so she's been fasting. I'm sure she doesn't look her best. And that's, you know, the king wants perfection, especially when it comes to his ladies. We saw that earlier on in this, this book here. Now she's going for all of, all these reasons she's going in there. It's like the deck is stacked against her. But she has faith. She believes that God is going to do something. She's putting skin, her own skin, her head in this game to where she could get it lopped off by trying to do this. But she believes that God is going to do something. Whenever you step out in faith, whenever you try to live by faith, whenever you take a risk, you feel like God has called you to do something, I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say. You will always suffer from a bad case of the what ifs. You ever done that? Like you feel like God's called you to do something, you start doubting everything, you you get a bad case of the what ifs, like what if I'm wrong? What if this doesn't work? What if I crash and burn? What if I mess this up? What if I misread what God is telling me to do? What if this costs me more than I thought or I, you know, I, I, I banked on? What if this causes me a lot of pain? What if something uh, irreparable happened within my relationships because of this? And we get a really bad case of the what ifs. I remember about 15 years ago, I, I lived in Kentucky and I had a really good union job, worked for Ford Motor Company, and I remember God calling me to up, uproot my family and move to Las Vegas to be a part of a church plant with no guarantees, no position, no pay, no anything. And I remember getting here and like, you know, super excited to, to leave this job and come out here and to live on faith and see what God wanted to do out here. And I was so excited. And about 30 days after that, the excitement wore off. And the what if set in. I was like, oh no, what if, what if I just made the biggest mistake of my life and my work career, my family, and like, you know, finances and supporting them and all this and that. But like that, just want you to know that God can meet you in the what ifs. And all of us are gonna have those what ifs. I'm sure she's got in the back of her mind a lot of what ifs, but Look, we, we, we still got to step out no matter what. God's got you. Do you believe that God's holding you? Do you believe that God's guiding you? Do you believe that God's leading you? It may be painful. It may not work the way you thought it was going to work, but we can trust him. There's no way to make the unknown known. There's just no way. All we can do is step out in our faith despite not knowing how things will unfold or whether the risk will pay off. Martin Luther King Jr. said it like this. And I love the way he said it. He says, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. It's like, I think what the Lord calls us, we just take that first step. Remember, uh, Louis, uh, remember Indiana Jones uh, and the Last Crusade? The best of the, th- of the four, am I right? Anywho, remember the part where he's like, you know, he's got the little, the grail diary and like, you know, there's like this big chasm and he has to step out in faith and all of a sudden the camera pans around and you can see that like it, they constructed a bridge that looked like the background and it looked like he was walking. Anybody remember that? Do you guys watch movies? Cool. It's kind of like that. Verse two. All right. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, so okay, the king sees her. What's going to happen? She won favor in his sight. That's interesting. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand and she shuffled across there. Then Esther approached and touch the tip of the scepter. So she has found favor. Now, I'm going to argue that God is the one who did that. God is the one who's given her favor. Uh, and why is that? I mean, it's a very perilous situation, very dangerous situation. Listen to me, listen. God is afraid of no king. Like this king was like feared amongst all people. 
He was known as the king of kings. There, there is no king who has ever existed that has intimidated God. There is no leader who has ever existed that has intimidated God. There is no president ever who has intimidated God. Isn't that good? God can handle them. I'll tell you who else God can handle. God can handle your spouse. God can handle your kids. God can handle your boss. God can handle your pastors. God can handle your enemies. God can handle your ex. He can handle every intimidating situation. You would be like, well, Ty, you feel pretty confident in saying that. I know. You know how I know? I read the Bible. The Bible says this in Proverbs 21.1. Don't forget, this is a very helpful verse. The king's heart. Now notice, King Ahasuerus was known as the king of kings. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whatever he, whichever way he wills. Do you, do you get the visual? You ever like put your hand on a faucet and turn it just like that? Like every king, every leader, every, anyone, God is sovereign. God is the creator. We are the created. And at any time, he can turn our hearts or anyone's heart in the way that it should go. And so when it comes to your enemy, when it comes to people that despise you, when it comes to like hard times, hard people, all that, just be reminded that we have a sovereign God that we can trust, that we can believe, and that we can know that he is good and he is in control to where he can do some things. I just, I love that verse. Let me, let me keep going. Or, or one more. The opposite of that is this. Or if you don't trust God, you can just, you can just worry. How's that working for you? I, I, I've heard one time that, that worry is like praying to yourself. And that's where we put our faith in ourselves. We're like, if we just worry about it and we'll, we'll have to fix it or take care of it or just die worrying. But anyway, verse three. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half your kingdom. Her moment is here. He says, look, what's, and, and like this is probably hyperbole or hyperbole, however you say it, uh, of the king saying, I'll give you half my kingdom. We don't think he was going to measure out, what is it, 63 and a half of his providences and like, hey, you can have all this. Uh, it's kind of like um, just an exaggeration of like, hey, I, I want to help you. I see that you're in distress. I want to give you what you want. So it's kind of like just a, a euphemism there. And so this, this is her moment. This is the moment in which she could ask the king for just about anything. So this is what she's prayed for. I'm sure this is what they've been praying for, all people. So what does she do? Let's see, verse four. And Esther said, if it pleases the king, or if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Wait, what? Wait, no, no, Esther. Esther, this is, this is your moment. This is where God has led you to. You are standing before the king and you can ask of anything you want. So you, you've been fasting for three days. All the people have been fasting for three days. And now all you want to do is make a request that, that they come to one of your parties, like today. This makes no sense. What is she, She's been fasting. Is she delirious? Like, does someone need to get a juice pack, you know, some, some, some snicker bars or something like that? Like, you has got her blood sugar levels low? Like, why would she? She's right in doing this. She's being shrewd, discerning. I would argue, the text doesn't say this, but I would argue that, that she's been praying for the past three days and she has heard from the Lord exactly how to do this or, you know, or how to lead this out. See, Esther is in no hurry. Why? Because she's got 11 months before they execute this plan. Esther's not revengeful towards Haman. She knows that his time will come. Now, earlier I did say pray and take action, and I stand by that, but there are some situations if we feel a sense from the Lord, we just need to pray and wait and be patient. You ever got ahead of the Lord? 
like meaning like uh, you got into a situation and instead of like stopping and praying about it or going away and fasting for a while about it, you just, you just go kind of headlong in it and you shoot from the hip like I do and it bounces back and hits you in the face. You ever do that before? Hey, you ever just get like super fired up or super emotional about something and you should have took a time out and should have went and spent some time with the Lord, but then you pop off your mouth and you begin to regret it and you really cause relational damage. You ever done that before? Yeah, yeah. You can see right here, like, you know, this is a great place for her to be super, like, just like, man, emotional, rah, but like, she has spent time with the Lord, and she is measured. She is measured, and so uh, she is, she's going to go in there, and she's going to tackle this the right way, and we have to trust what the Lord is doing in her. By the way, by the way, by the way, what has she been doing the past three days? What, 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 what's her request? Isn't that interesting? She has prepared a feast for these two guys. Could you imagine, like, you're fasting, it's like day two, you're starving, and like, you're making the mashed potatoes in there or whatever. You can tell I've never made mashed potatoes, but you're making the mashed potatoes in there. And, like, you want to lick your fingers and stuff? I was like, I just think that's an incredible uh, part of, like, just self-control or discipline here. It's like, she's fasting and then doing that. Anyway, her plan is to get king, the king and Haman in the same room. Verse 5. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that, they, that we may do as Esther has asked. And so he gives her the quest. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. I mean, how disarming is it to go to a dinner party? Very disarming. By the way, it seems like that's all the king and the officials do. So, I mean, she really knew the king because, like, he likes a good party. She's throwing a good party for him. So that's it right there. And if you don't know the story, you might at this point think, aha, I see the plot. I've watched movies. Uh, she's poisoned the food. No. No, she hasn't poisoned the food. Uh, but when we look at this story, it reminds us that God doesn't always do what we think he should do. Or God doesn't lead us in the ways we think that he always should lead us. You ever like um, think God's going to zig when he ends up zagging? And you're like, God's like, surprise, I didn't do what you thought I'd do. Like he does that all of the time. Think about how that happens in our life. You expect God to bring you a significant other. And then surprise, he's like, hey, you're going to be single for the rest of your life. That's not something to rue. The Bible talks about that actually being a really good thing. You expect God to get your spouse right, you know, because they're the problem. Surprise, God shows you, no, you're actually the problem. You expect God to get that rebellious kid in order, and then surprise, it's not going to happen while they live in your home. It's going to happen when they're an adult. You expect God to keep your life going in, in order uh, since you have finally got everything settled and you got that uh, elusive balance in your life. And surprise, God said, no, I'm going to change it up. I'm going to change your job. I'm going to move you somewhere else. I'm going to cause this to happen in your life. You're, you, God ever done that in your life? Giving you a big surprise? Yeah. Are you okay with that? Do you trust God in that? That's a part of walking by faith. It's like God, he can do what he wants to do. And I believe in this story God is the one making this happen. He's the one that's uh, spent time with Esther and like is, is encouraging her or guiding her in some way to, to make these calls right here. Verse six. So the party's happening. It's bumping. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. So the king understands she didn't risk her life just to come in there and say, hey, I want to throw you a party. Like, he is an idiot, but he's smarter than that. He knows, like, hey, sh there's something else going on right here. Verse 7. Then she answered. Now, here we go. This has got to be the moment. This is where it's at. My wish and my request is, 
If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Surprise, another party. So this is today having a party. She's saying, hey, my request and all that is for tomorrow for us to have a party, and then, be patient, king, I'll fill you in then. That's risky. This king is impulsive. He's not, he's not patient. So uh, this leaves the reader, as we read this and hear this, it leaves us wondering, why is she stalling? Is she af- or is she stalling? Is she afraid? Is God leading her to this? Is it, this, is it in the words of George W., is this strategery? I mean, we, we, we don't know. Now, we think that God is giving her good, good discernment because when we look back over the story, you can see it's really, really wise. Uh, I'll give you the reasons why I think it's really wise. Number one. When you are to approach someone, timing is everything, am I right? You ever been married? Timing's everything. It's, it is everything. Number two, this law that was put out is an irreversible law. So she, I don't think she can just come right out with it like, hey, king, uh, I know you're going to lose face on this, but uh, change the law. Like, that's not very wise. Number three, if he does change the law, it's going to cost a lot of money. Remember that said early on, it was like, I don't know, 300 ton of silver. Like, this is like half of the uh, kingdom's uh, you know, money there. So it's going to lose money. King doesn't like that. Fourth reason, um, this is a big reason, if she reveals it right there, just kind of out in the, you know, it's out loud, she's going to have to reveal that she's Jewish. And she's been lying to her husband, the king, or deceiving him at least for five years. And then lastly, and here's the real reason. I don't know what number I'm on, D. I think this is a plot twist that's going to drop like a fight club or sixth sense in chapter six. And so I think the Lord is setting her up because she doesn't know it and setting us up as well to really show off and to show who he is and his sovereignty and his providence. Because remember, the theme of this book is what? God's providence. And so I think that's why. Speculation. Now, okay, so the first eight verses are about this interaction with Esther and the king. Now the text is going to shift and you're going to start hearing about Haman, okay? So Haman, remember the number two, the vice president. Here we go, verse nine. So there's a shift in the story. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. Why? Because he's been called in, man. He's got like special place there. He's been called in. Uh, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he ne- neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. So not only was Mordecai, the Jewish guy there, not only was he anti-bow, when Haman came into your presence and you were sitting down, you were to stand up in attention. And he's like, well, I ain't standing up with that fool. So imagine Mordecai sitting right there like seeing Haman go by, Haman, everybody's just popping up left and right, left and right. And Mordecai's just sitting there like, nah, nah. And so right here we can see that this infuriates Haman. So what does he do? Verse 10, the plot thickens. I feel like I'm reading a soap opera, <laughs> like a Hebrew soap opera. Verse 10, nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Uh, if you're counting, this is the second time Haman has restrained himself. How is he restraining himself? And I think it's because of God. And, and I want you to know that God can control believers and unbelievers alike. And I think God is doing something here in Haman's life to control him, to restrain him. Just my opinion there, maybe so. He went home and he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And so he's bringing them in. I think they're going to have a, a, a rap session of some sort. Verse 11, here's what he did. 
You've got to hear the pomp in this, this guy. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons. They say that he had upwards of 600 sons. He had sired. Yeah. Oh, boy, got around. All the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above all the officials and the servants of the king. Humble brag. He's just bragging right there. He's braggadocious. Verse 12. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. And so on his, on his, on his Twitter profile, it just says hashtag winning. I mean, like this guy, he has got it all. He's got fame. He's got fortune. He's got family. He's got honor. People are bowing down to him. And now he is in the most inter of circles. I mean, like he was with the officials and he's the you know, like vice president over there. But now the king and the queen, and he gets to get in the middle of that and hear all the juicy bits that's going on and all this good stuff. I mean, this is just, just, just the mat. This is amazing. Could you imagine yourself in Haman's shoes right here? Um, uh, I want you to think about who do you most respect or who do you most love or who do you most like fanboy, fangirl over outside of Jesus and your spouse? And I did, that was a clue. That was a free one. So it's Jesus and your spouse. Who is that person? What athlete, what actor, actress, what musician, what band? What, you got it in your head? Imagine if you got contacted by them for an intimate evening with them and you get to have dinner with them and all that. Imagine how much you would geek out. Don't sit and look at me like I would not geek out about that. Yes, you would. Listen, listen, I know you. Here's the first thing you do. Like, how long would it take you to grab your phone and post something on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or MySpace or whatever you're on today? You could get to your phone in 2.2 seconds, and I know you. What you're going to do is you're just going to religious it up. I know you will. And here's what you'll do. You're going to be like, hey, guys. (laughs) You'll be holding your phone. Hey, guys, it's me again. You know, that's how we do. It's me again. I'm going to be with, enter that person's name right there. I just want you guys to pray for me, to have influence with them. No, you don't. You don't want anybody to pray for you. You just want everybody to know, like, hey, I'm hanging out with this person. Am I right? You've seen people do it. Is it just me? I've seen. Yeah, that's what you want. And like, oh, I, I want to be with them. No, 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 no. But that's what Haman's doing right there. Man, he's just bragging all over the place. And by the way, uh, if you didn't catch it already, Haman's an idiot. Uh, he is. And uh, he is like just the pridefulness right here. And I think, I would argue that pride is the original sin. Uh, that's where uh, Lucifer turned Satan and the third of the angels, boom, down to the earth because of pride. Pride goes before the fall. God humbles the proud. And so uh, we're going to see God move right here. And also when you look at Haman, and if you know a little bit about uh, the book of Proverbs, Haman is like a caricature of the fool and the mocker and the scoffer in the book of Proverbs. You kinda get, you, do you notice it a little bit? Haman loves himself some Haman. Next time you're with your spouse, you want to tell them how much you love them, be like, girl, I love you like Kanye loves Kanye. Like you could just, <laughs> sorry, it's not relevant. Girl, I love you like ye loves ye or whatever it is, like whatever he's going by now. But Haman loves himself some Haman. Verse 13, it's true. Verse 13. <laughs> Yet all this, so this is Haman talking. He's talked about his splendor and glory and all these great things. He says, but all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. You got a person like that in your life, don't you? You know, that's like a pee on your pee in your mattress. Mm, not pee in your mattress. You remember the old story about the pee in the mattress? P-E-A. Is that a story? Or am I making that up? Yeah. Or let's try a rock in the shoe. The princess and the pee. That's it. Uh, rock in your shoe. Like Mordecai is the pea and the rock in uh, Haman's life right there. 
He's like, he's like, nothing is right. I can get a thousand like compliments and all this, but I get one criticism, or if I see that guy one time, it just wrecks everything. You got that person, don't you? Who is that person in your life? If you have that person in your life, listen to me. Watch out for bitterness. I've heard once that bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. And you know what bitterness turns into? Bitterness always turns into, if you, if you don't deal with bitterness, if you don't chop it off at its root, if you don't re- surrender that to the Lord, bitterness, listen, 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 will always turn into malice. And Paul calls malice in the book of Galatians a fruit of the flesh and basically says it's damnable. So like it's a, it's a big, big deal. Malice is hatred that brings delight in our enemy's suffering and pain in our enemy's success. You ever know a person, like, whenever they do well, it just, you just hate it, but when they suffer, you're like, ha-ha, they finally get what they deserve. That's, watch out, that's malice. Malice uh, can never forgive. It must always take revenge. Malice has a good memory for hurts and a bad memory for kindness. Can I tell you, if that's where you're at right now, it is, going, it is destroying you and will destroy everyone around you. Like, how's it going to destroy everyone around me? It's in my heart. Listen, it spills out of you. You're angry. You're mad. You're always plotting. You're always scheming. And so this is a great opportunity to walk by faith and hand that over to God. Set a mulling on that and trust God with them. Didn't Jesus tell us to pray for our enemies? You could pray for your enemy. Now you can go old school like uh, David style and pray for your enemy. You can look that up. You know what I'm talking about. But Jesus tells us to love our enemies and pray for them. It's hard to stay bitter and, and malicious towards someone you're constantly praying for. And I think that's a part of walking by faith. Let me keep going to this. Look what it says right here. Verse 14. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all her friends said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it, then go joyfully with the king to the, to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had a gallows made. Now, uh, what is 50 cubits? A cubit is a biblical measurement. It's about a foot and a half. So this is about a 75-foot uh, uh, murdering device or execution device. Now, uh, when you hear gallows, what do you think? You're like, I can't do the whistle. The, the good, the bad, the ugly. There you go. You're th- there it is. You're thinking of like uh, old Western uh, platform, uh, noose around the neck, and some dude back there pulling the lever, floor falls out. You know, you're thinking of that. That's not what it is. Uh, a gallow in that time period was a, basically a huge spike. And so think about like a 75-foot-tall spike, how they constructed that, I have no idea. But a 75-foot spike, it was pointy on the end, and they would literally go up there somehow or have you down there, and they would shove you on it. Skewer, you're typically alive. Skewer you on it, raise the pole up, and they would do it in very public places. That way they would say, hey, criminals, be on guard, because like if you are a criminal, this is what happened to you as well. Uh, side note, this, the uh, Persians got it from the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians really originally did this. And then after the, uh, the Persians, then the Romans picked up on this. But the Romans did something different. They started nailing people to it. And they started putting cross beams on it. And that's where we get crucif- uh, crucifixion from. They basically, instead of impaling people, they wanted people uh, to suffer even more, they, th- they thought. And they would nail them to them to where their arms were raised up and they couldn't get relief and they'd eventually suffocate themselves. Hence, Jesus on the cross. Uh, but, but basically, um, they told Haman, like, hey, let's just, just build a big, uh, you know, gallow out there. And tomorrow, we'll, you know, Mordecai's not going to wait for the 11 months. We're just going to spear him on it, and then you'll be happy, and then you can go about your day. And what did Haman say? Aces. Let's do that, right? So 
This is the end of our story right here. We're going to end right here, but that means you got to come back. We're going to end right here. Uh, now, this is the part where I can be like, it's all about Jesus, and it is. And I can say, hey, Jesus, he took the 75 or the 50 foot, uh, or was it 75 foot uh, gallop for us that he was, you know, died for us. He was the innocent. We were the criminal. And I, and I can do that. And I should do that. I can't. I did a little bit there. Uh, but I'm going to tease that out later on next week because I think there's something important coming for us. But um, I'll wait. I, I want to, I want us to start processing this idea of living by faith. And uh, I, I want, as I be- began this message, I want to continue to drill down, are you living by faith? We, we just saw a character who lived by faith, and I think those are good for us, but are you living by faith? Like true, moment to moment, walking with Christ, trusting God in all areas. Of course, there's action behind that, but are you living by, by faith? Um, if not, we, we, just, we just trust in ourselves. Now, if you look back at Esther's story, if you remember the beginning of it, Esther's faith started really, really slow, didn't it? I mean, we said in the beginning, it looked like she was a, a massive compromiser. We even said her name, Esther, is, she was named after a pagan god. And her original Jewish name was what? Hadessa. Thanks, you nailed it. Hadessa. And so that was kind of her Jewish name. And so there's been times throughout this story, it kind of feels like she's been caught in this in the middle world. And her, her faith has been real uh, sluggish. It's been a bit lazy. But then we see that pick up to where God causes, and I would argue God causes this crisis here, and we can see her start to be like, you know what, I'm going to live by faith, and I'm going to trust God. You see Mordecai doing that as well, and basically where she's putting skin in the game. Like, she says, if I die, I die. I'm going to live for God, God's plan, God's purpose, and I'm going to live for God's people no matter what the cost. Isn't that what it means to live by faith? I'm going to live for God, his glory, his plan, his purpose and his people, no matter what the cost. So what about us? Do we live that way? We have a very comfortable Christianity nowadays. Doesn't cost us a whole lot. Don't have to put a lot of skin in the game. Not a lot of risk anymore. And I think there's time for us to wake up to like, no, it's, t- it's time to start living by faith. Um, I just went to a, a conference, like a, a church leader conference thing. It was really good. And one of the speakers just, um, just really hit me with this question, and I've been mulling over this question for the, for the past few days. And so I thought, you know what? I'm not going to just bear this question myself. I want us all to bear this question as well. And so I, I got two questions for you that I'm just going to, I'm going to hard shift on, land the plane, and just leave on these two questions. And I really want you to wrestle with these two questions. I want you to talk about these questions with God. I want you to talk about these questions if you're married with your spouse or your significant other, with your children, if it's age appropriate for you. If, I, I want you to talk about this in your community group, with your friends. But there's two questions. I really, 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 I hope these questions haunt you, like they're haunting me right now. And so I'm sharing the haunting with you. Are you ready? Question number one. What kind of risk was I willing to take earlier in my faith journey that I no longer take? You remember? Remember early on following Jesus? Like you were charging hell with a water pistol. I mean, like, yeah, let's get it, you know. And now just something happened. You got comfortable. You got complacent. You got, what, you got whatever it was. And we no longer take risk. We no longer live by faith that we even used to live by. So what is it? What kind of risk was I willing to take early on? Could you recall the stories of following God? I just recalled a little bit of mine of like moving out here, leaving my job, moving my family, you know, 2,000 miles away. Like, am I living with that kind of risk, that kind of like walk by faith? There's a fine line between risk and walking by faith, am I right? 
There's a fine line between wisdom and stupidity when it comes to walking by faith, am I right? I'll say it. There is. So we got to be really in tune with the Spirit. Got to have some good counsel around us. But what risk? I want you to think about that. What risk were you like, man, I would risk anything for the Lord. Risk anything for his mission. I'd risk my reputation. I'd risk my finances. I'd risk whatever to where you get down the road a little bit and like that risk is gone. Living by faith is kind of gone. Side note, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I got to ask you this. So this is a side note question. What are you placing your faith in? We've been talking about placing our faith in God. He's God, he's good, he's kind, he's powerful, all, you know, sovereign. If you're, not a, if you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, what are you putting your faith in? Yourself? Can I ask you, how's that working? Is it leading to more anxiety? Is it leading to more pain? Is it leading to more like, I've got to be a massive consumer to, to push down the pain because like I'm just trusting myself and I always fail myself or I trust in someone else and they always fail me? So question number one for everyone, what kind of risk, faith, was I willing to take earlier in my faith journey that I no longer do? Second question, what is God doing? What is, you ever just pause? You ever slow down? Stop? What, what is God doing? You think about the situations in your life, much like the situations of Esther. Like Esther had to be sitting back like, God, what are you doing? Mordecai had to be sitting back, God, what are you doing? We don't do that often, do we? What if we were to pause our life long enough, turn the television off, set the phone down, say no to some engagement you got outside of there, or take a day off or do something like that and just pause and say, God, what are you doing? I know you're always at work. Jesus says in one of the gospels, he says, my father is always at work. And he talks about, I just join in with him. God, what are you doing? Where are you at work in my life? Where are you at work in the lives of others? What are you doing? What's going on with your kingdom? What's going on with your people? What's going on with your plan? What's going on with your purposes? God, what are you doing? just to have a little bit of God awareness. What risk did you used to take you no longer taking and what is God doing? Listen, I just wanna encourage you, really, don't just, you know, sometimes you hear things in church and you're like, move it on, got a game later. Why not really mull over those? Wrestle with those. Talk to God about those. I can't wait, if you would, just share some of those stories with me next week and the week after and all that. I'd love to hear what God is doing and what God is, you know, making happen in your life. Now, next week uh, is big, big movement week. Super excited about that. We're going to see you know, God's invisible hand a little bit more. And so make sure you come back next week as we uh, keep going through the book of Esther. But really, please wrestle all those two questions. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm just grateful that even as I said, and your word says that you are always at work. I pray that even simple questions can rattle us, that Holy Spirit, you'd grab a hold of that. And for some of us, Lord, you just need to shake us awake. We are asleep at the wheel. We've been asleep at the wheel a long time. And so, Lord, wake us up. So many times your word says, says, wake up, sleeper. Wake up, sleeper. May you wake us up. For others of us, this may be even just, um, this may even commend us a bit of like we, we the, the faith we had then, we still have now. We're, you know, moving for the kingdom. God, thankful for people, brothers and sisters like that. And Father, I pray also for my friends here that don't know you. When they think of faith, all they can think of is just trusting themselves and their ways and all that. So God, would you, it's not a wake-up call for them. God, would you bring them from death to life? Your, your word says that, they are, that we are dead before we know you, Christ. And so would you bring them to life and save them today? God, as you're doing your work, would you empower us to be a people? Would you help us to, to know you, to commune with you, and to walk with you and follow you wherever goes, wherever you go, 
at whatever the cost. May it grow us. May it cause us to really depend on you and one another. May it unify us. May it be good for the world, good for the kingdom. And Jesus, may it be all for your glory. We pray in Christ, Christ's name, amen.